Welcome to the Torah Guide, a podcast where we explore how the Hebrew Bible is all about Jesus and meditate on what it has to say to us. I'm your host, Aaron Dranoff. God invited Israel into a unique relationship with him called a covenant partnership. He told them if they listened to him and kept the covenant, they would be his priestly representatives. Almost the entire Bible follows Abraham's family. So to understand the full story, we need to have a solid grip on Israel's place in God's plan. Which means we need to know what it means for Israel to be a kingdom of priests. So let's talk about priests. It's a major point in the opening pages of scripture that every human male and female, is an image of God. In God's covenant with Adam, the way Adam and Eve were instructed to rule over creation and reflect God is described in the same way that the rest of the Bible will describe the responsibilities that prophets, priests, and kings have. So as the image of God, Adam and Eve were supposed to be the prophets, priests, and kings of creation, but they didn't properly reflect God. They didn't listen to him to work and keep creation as he instructed them. Even though they were made in his image, they listened to a creature who deceived them into trying to be like God on their own terms, and it shattered their relationship with God. Then all through the rest of the Hebrew Bible, all the main people only represent one of these aspects of the image of God, prophet, priest, or king. Scripture confirms that people are still made in the image of God, During the story of Noah, we're told that the reason that humans shouldn't murder each other, they shouldn't take each other's lives, is because they're in the image of God. So humans didn't lose being made in the image of God, but we learn that something's been shattered. It's as if something needs to be fixed in order for them to be truly or fully human. Because after Adam, all the main figures are either prophet, priest, or king, not all three. Now, a couple figures do take on a combination of two of them, and Moses and King David each even have moments where they come pretty close to embodying all three, but they're not fully prophet, priest, and king. The whole story is building anticipation for a new and better Adam. Adam never fully realized the blessing that God wanted to give him and to creation through him. Instead, Adam was unfaithful, which brought curses into the world. In response, God promised that one of the woman's descendants would crush the serpent, the one who deceived them into sinning in the first place. So in other words, God promised another human as the solution to the conflict that Adam caused. Then the story moves on and keeps presenting us with possible candidates for this better Adam, showing that while many of them do have moments of great faithfulness, they all fall short of being the rescuer, the new Adam that God promised. We're actually working on a series that's going to be entirely about this new Adam idea, which is probably the most important feature of the biblical story. It seems that everything else pivots around who the new Adam is. So I'm really excited to to talk about that more in detail when it comes up, when we get to that series. Um, But for now, uh, let's just see that as a new Adam, this person, this rescuer, will be a prophet, priest, and king. So most of what we know about priests comes from how God taught Israel's priests to function. Israel's priests mostly worked in the tabernacle. Another name for the tabernacle is the tent of meeting, because 
It's the place where God meets with his people. The Torah says his presence rests above the ark in the Holy of Holies. The tabernacle is a spot where God's space overlaps with humanity's space. The temple was filled with art, furniture, and other things that are intended to remind us of the Garden of Eden, like almonds and trees and cherubim. Just like Adam was instructed to work and keep the Garden of Eden, God instructed Aaron and his sons to work and keep the tabernacle. Now we can just see that if we compare the command to Adam that God gave Adam when he put him in the Garden of Eden with the command that God gave Aaron and his sons when he commanded them to work in the, in the tabernacle. So let's look at Adam in Genesis 2-7 and then Aaron in Numbers 3-7-8. So in Genesis 2, talking about um, the human or the Adam, it says, Then the Lord God took the man, the Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and the Hebrew word there is avodah, and keep, which is a form of the word shamar. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to avodat it and to shamar it or keep it. Then in Numbers, talking about Aaron and his sons, it says, they shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting or the tabernacle to do the service, the avodat, of the tabernacle. They shall also keep, shamar, all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, along with the duties of the sons of Israel to the avodat of the tabernacle. So you can see Aaron's work in the tabernacle is described in the same way that Adam was supposed to work in the Garden of Eden. So the priests represented God to the people and represented the people to God, specifically in the tabernacle. They did it in the place where God quite literally set up camp among his people. So one way this priestly representation worked was they would intervene on behalf of Israel, dealing with the consequence of sin. They made atonement so the community's sins could be forgiven. The priests would go into the tabernacle and meet with the presence of God, but only the high priest could go into the center of the tabernacle, which is essentially God's throne room. Remember, he rested over the holy place. In the holy, he rested over the the mercy seat or the the ark of the covenant, the covering of the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies. So the priest, the high priest, goes into the center of the tabernacle, into God's throne room, and he could only do that after he made a sacrifice to atone for his own sins, and then another to atone for the sins of the people. So you can see how serious it is to represent the people to God and God to the people. Another job the priests were responsible for was to inspect and determine if someone was clean to enter the tent of meeting. And there were also teachers. It was their responsibility to make sure all of Israel knew the Torah. So to summarize how Israel's priests functioned, they worked in God's presence, representing him to Israel and Israel to God. They intervened on behalf of the people and they identified who met God's cleanliness standards. And they made, known, they made God known by teaching the Torah. Now, remember that God told all of Israel that he planned on using them as a kingdom of priests if they kept all of his commands, if they maintained their side of the covenant. So now we know what it would look like for Israel to be a kingdom of priests. As his covenant partners, they would represent God to the nations and the nations to God. They would intervene on behalf of the nations and would make God known to the nations by teaching scripture. Now, remember that God told all of Israel that he planned on using them as a kingdom of priests if they kept all of his commands, if they maintained their side of the covenant. So now we know what it would look like for Israel to be a kingdom of priests. As his covenant partners, 
They would represent God to the nations and the nations to God. They would intervene on behalf of the nations and would make God known to the nations by teaching scripture. But Israel didn't keep the covenant. They broke it time and time again. And we're even told that even Israel's priests, the ones who are the the representatives within Israel to God and of Israel to God, even they specifically violated the covenant and misrepresented God. Now, God took this representation very seriously. After all, the people would look to the priests to learn about God. There are a few times in scripture where we have specific stories about unfaithful priests. What these stories show is that since they're in this sacred position, God takes their responsibility very seriously. In fact, right after installing Aaron and his sons as the first priests, the first priests of Israel at least, Aaron's two sons arrogantly abused their position and disobeyed what God commanded about the tabernacle. They made up their own offering. They brought their own type of fire that God didn't command into the holy place, into the the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And God took this false representation so seriously that he killed them where they stood in the tabernacle. Then he replaced the priests with Aaron's other sons. So God doesn't tolerate people misrepresenting him and leading his people astray. Now, on a similar note, in the book of 1 Samuel, we're introduced to another high priest named Eli or Eli. And his two sons, they too were also abusing their position as priests and taking advantage of the people. It should remind us exactly of Aaron's two sons who were also misrepresenting um, God to the people by bringing in an unauthorized offering. So in response to Eli's two sons who abused their position and took advantage of the people, God again replaced the priesthood. He promised to remove Eli's family and install a new priesthood. Then later in the Hebrew Bible, we're actually told that this is fulfilled in 1 Kings 2, 27 and 35, when Solomon removed Eli's sons and replaced them with another Aaronic priesthood. So priests from the same, the same priesthood in general, they're all descended from Aaron, who is the priestly family, but it's no longer following Eli's sons. His family is removed and it's another priesthood. So there's a precedent that if the priests are arrogant and unfaithful representatives, God replaces them. In light of the fact that the whole story has us looking for another Adam, another priest, prophet, king, we should expect the new Adam to be a new priesthood. And this is exactly how the prophets and the writings, which are the two sections of the Hebrew Bible after the Torah, this is exactly how those sections understood the, the new Adam's or the Messiah's mission. When they described how David's messianic descendant would restore Israel, they, de- they described him as a better priest. This is what Psalm 110 says about the Messiah. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a, is a name that should launch us back to Genesis in a, in a really fascinating story with Abraham um, and he, where he meets a priest from Salem, which is most probably where Jerusalem will later be. So that is a really interesting story that I hope we can talk about another time, hopefully in our new Adam series. But for now, what we are seeing is the messianic descendant of King David is described as a better priest of a new order. And what Melchizedek brings up is Melchizedek isn't known. Of course, he's a human and he has origins. We know that he has human origins. But in the story, he seems as if he's uh, he's eternal. We don't know where he comes from or, or, or where he ends. So this thing about being of the order of Melchizedek 
it makes it seem like this new priest, his his foundations are from forever. So he's a priest forever. Then when the New Testament describes Jesus's life, it continuously shows him to be the new and better Adam. He is the image of God like Adam was supposed to be, the prophet, king, and priest anticipated by the Hebrew Bible. Jesus was a better priest because he did similar things to that of the temple priests, but in an amplified way. So priests would make atonement so that sins could be forgiven. And then Jesus forgave sins. Priests would inspect and determine if someone was clean to enter the holy temple. And then Jesus healed the unclean and restored them so they could enter the holy temple. Priests taught the Torah. And the New Testament is filled with accounts of Jesus teaching from the Torah and calling the people to turn away from their sin and trust in God. And Jesus' interpretations of the Torah amaze the people because he interprets it with authority, right? As if he is the author, the one with authority to interpret the text. So let's think about this. God was so determined to work with and through humanity that he made a way to partner together with us despite human sinfulness. He raised up priestly representatives who intervened on behalf of the people atoning for their sins and identified who met the cleanliness standards and they taught his Torah. But when priests misrepresented him and abused their power over the people, God took action and protected his people from them. And ultimately, he gave us a perfect priest who never abuses his power and perfectly represents God. Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus 29, 42-46. And in this passage of scripture, we're going to come across God's personal name. Now, a lot of people have really strong feelings about saying God's name out loud, and it's become a custom to not do so. So out of respect for people who feel that way, I'm not going to say God's name out loud in, in this reading. Um, sometimes I do if I feel like it's really important for understanding a point. But here, I'm just going to use the placeholder in the text. But I want you to understand that when you come across the Lord in all caps, if you're reading an English translation, it's a placeholder for God's name. That's why they do it in all caps, to kind of signal you that this is this is a placeholder. So God's name doesn't translate into English as the Lord. So we shouldn't read this and see God is the boss or God is king when we see the Lord. We should just sub in our minds, this is what God's name is. So with that understanding, let's read Exodus 29, 42 through 46. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. I will meet with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I'm going to ask you three questions to help us slow down and meditate on the scripture we talked about today. If you need more time to think about them, feel free to pause. So first question, have you ever been let down or mistreated by someone in power? Maybe a religious leader? Right now, just take a second and express how you feel about that to God.
Remember that where people let us down, Jesus is compassionate and invites us to be with him. Take another second right now and ask for him to restore and heal every area of hurt. Remember that if you're a follower of Jesus, you represent him to those around you. What is one way today that you can be there for someone who needs compassion? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Torah Guide Podcast. If you want to meditate on this lesson some more, Check out the video and reading plan that go along with it at thetorahguide.com. The Torah Guide is a totally crowdfunded nonprofit that makes all sorts of resources to help you read the Hebrew Bible and discover Jesus, including this podcast, animated videos, devotionals, reading plans, and more. And we're able to do all of it because of generous people like you. If you want to be a part of helping people discover how the Hebrew Bible points to Jesus, you can make a one-time gift or become a monthly supporter at thetorahguide.com. Thanks for being a part of this.